poppin' the Christian bubble. It is now time for the Cultured Christian Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is sponsored by independent financial planner Adam Peak. Join us as we provide commentary at the intersection of culture, tech, and faith. Did coronavirus actually start in a lab? Quiet Place Part 2 comes out. We get our latest Kanye news. I share some mobile games that I'm digging lately. Should we bring back away messages from the 90s? Spotify gets a massive new feature on Apple Watch. What's with all this alien and UFO talk lately? And finally, shame makes us feel like second-class Christians. All this and more on today's episode of The Cultured Christian Podcast. Let's dive right in. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to this episode 34 of the podcast. It is a warm day over here in Oregon. We are at 95. We hit 95 degrees today, I believe, for the first time in 2021. So it is hot. I've got all the blinds closed and the fans on and the air conditioner in one of the rooms of my house. But uh, as we get things rolling today, I felt like it was necessary to at least uh, acknowledge and take a moment here for Memorial Day. This past Monday was Memorial Day here in the States, and it is a really important holiday. And like a lot of people talked on Facebook and Twitter and social media this weekend, um, it is far more than just a few days off. And we kind of go through this every year where people talk about the sacrifice that countless men and women made for our freedoms, things that many of us take for granted. And so I, for one, want to, at least here in this podcast, just take a moment, literally a moment of silence here in a moment. Um, but before I do that, I want to read a um, Instagram post that Chris Pratt, you guys are familiar with. Uh, Chris Pratt is an actor. He's been in a lot of different films. Guardians of the Galaxy is uh, probably the most recent one he's noticed, uh, noted for. He was also in Parks and Rec. And uh, he posted about some pictures he saw over on Tim Kennedy, who's a uh, MMA guy, MMA fighter, UFC fighter, that sort of thing. And this guy posted a bunch of pictures uh, from, you know, people who are experiencing the loss and standing next to the gravesite of a loved one or uh, at a casket as it comes off an airplane, that sort of thing. You'll have to see the post for yourself uh, on Chris Pratt's uh, Instagram. But this is what he wrote, which I thought was worth reading for those of you that didn't catch this. And so here's the post. He says, I saw these images on Tim Kennedy's uh, feed. Please look at each one. Pause. Give them your consideration. America's exceptional armed forces have altered the course of the world for the better. From the Union Army defeating slave-owning Confederates to the greatest generation and her allies vanquishing the Nazis or our special operators hunting down the perpetrators of 9-11. We count the names of each fallen soldier lest they be countless. They are the good guys. They run into the sound of gunfire. They know pain and suffering. We never will. They have given us the most free and decent society planet Earth has ever seen. We run the risk of losing that decency when we fail to instill gratitude in the minds of our youth or in the perspective of what it actually means to be free. 
should they never learn of the selfless sacrifice of our armed service members in the face of oppressive evil. So join me in showing support for our fallen. Take a quiet moment to really consider the sacrifice. And if you use the comment sections on posts like this to bitch and moan about America, please understand that there are countries in the world where criticizing your government will get you killed or imprisoned. Criticism is a right and necessity in amending the flawed systems of man. By, so by all means, let your voice be heard. But never forget, your right to free expression is paid for in blood. May God give their souls rest, and may they live in our memories this weekend and always. I couldn't have said it better. That is such a moving and profound post for a number of reasons. And like many of you, there's some fear this year, every year that we progress forward, that our country is becoming more and more divided as younger generations uh, take a lot of this for granted, haven't had these stories and these things passed on to them. And so uh, I just want to start here by honoring those who uh, we've lost as a nation. Heading into our culture section today, I wanted to start by talking about the topic you're probably all tired of talking about, which I know I am, <laughs> and yet I'm allowing this to be one of the topics for today, and that is coronavirus yet again. Uh, this past week, Facebook made the controversial decision, everything's controversial, right, but this is a controversial decision to kind of renege or go back on their banning and censorship of posts related to the conspiracy theory in quotes it was previously known as a conspiracy theory to say on facebook that the coronavirus started in a lab in wuhan china now you may scroll back to 2020 somewhere in there when this whole thing started and was perpetuated by politicians and news people at the time I remember when I first heard it, I actually was in the group of people who was like, yeah, that probably sounds, you know, too fantastical to be true. Like, I just was like, there's no way. There's no way that this town, which had this water wet market, I was going to say water market, it had this wet market uh, where this thing started with a bat. That's kind of the story that came out is it passed from animal to human, which is usually how these viruses go. And it was just too coincidental to me to be true that that town also had a lab where the Chinese government studied uh, viruses. Like that's the whole purpose of that kind of lab. Kind of like here in the United States, in Atlanta, we have the CDC. So to me, it would be, again, for us Americans, like the idea of something happening in Atlanta and a virus spreading, and it just so happened to come from some sort of open-air market on the streets of Atlanta, and oh yeah, it's only a few blocks away from the CDC, um, that would just be incredibly um, ironic <laughs> that that happened. And so um, it's just, to me, very interesting again. And the reason why I'm talking about it here on the podcast is not at all, again, to get political. We're talking about the angle of Facebook because we've talked about Facebook censoring um, things and, and what our government should do in, uh, in result of that. And so for me, this is one of those examples of where playing the censorship role, banning certain ideas and thoughts and untruths, again, in quotes, um, is dangerous because here's a situation where it 
might not be that they that it really was a conspiracy theory. It might end up being that there's truth to this. I mean, again, the more that I've read into it and the more that we as a world have come back from coronavirus and now we're reading these things, um, it's kind of like, wow, dang, that is really interesting that it's in the same exact town that they studied these things. So for me, the jury is still out on a very important point, and that is, number one, if it did come out of a lab, was it accidental? You know, I've read a few articles, I've watched a few videos that say it's fairly common that some things get leaked out. They're just not on the level of a worldwide pandemic. It's not killing people. Um, but these things happen, right? They're, they're humans. They make mistakes. Things can walk out of the lab um, figuratively and uh, actually. And the other aspect is so it could have happened by accident or it could have been weaponized, right? Maybe Maybe China was working on a way to weaponize a virus. We've all seen the movies. I've lost count of how many times this has been in a movie where a country weaponizes this. Um, and for me, I'm like, if it's if it's the latter, if it's weaponized, well, it would make sense why China would want to cover it up, right? Like that just follows that if you did something bad that ended up killing the economy of the world, specifically American economy, your, your greatest economic enemy, um, then it makes sense to want to cover it up, to not have that story and that narrative get out. So I found it interesting. And for those of you who are still kind of like, um, I don't know, not interested in it, or maybe you're not buying into it, you still think, no, it's not a conspiracy theory, blah, 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 um, or you believe it is. There was a, a video, I'll post the link in the uh, show notes from CNN. So wherever you're at on the political spectrum, I think we can agree that CNN is uh, far left in their reporting or just left, I'll say, let's not use the far word, but they're talking about it now as if this is a, a legitimate theory that this could have happened. And I found that, again, very telling, very interesting that even somewhat liberal progressive media outlets are having this conversation now. So so I'd wonder your thoughts, as always, in the comments, uh, wherever you're listening to this at. Um, again, let's not get political. Let's not fight about you know, red versus blue or this or that. Let's just talk about it from the perspective of Facebook blocking uh, a post uh, for the last year. Any post that you or I as a common Facebook user would have got banned, would have got thrown aside and not um, been allowed to be on the platform. And now it's proven or seen as maybe could be true could be a possibility. So who decides what's conspiracy theory? Who decides what is, you know, something, a philosophy that people can think? Because clearly it took us time to get the information. Uh, but still, I don't know if that's a good idea to ban or censor ideas until you know you have enough information. Like that's part of us learning, isn't it? It's part of us gathering information as being allowed to be exposed to um, that sort of information over the course of the last uh, 12 to, what, 14 months now? So anyways, would love your thoughts as usual down in the comments. How many of you have been back in a movie theater recently to watch a movie in person? I know for me it is well overdue. I don't know why I haven't done it sooner, but it just, again, life moving into a new town, all that kind of stuff has been a little bit crazy, but um, I am super excited that the movie A Quiet Place Part 2 is now in theaters as of a few short days ago, 
and I really enjoyed the first one. I'll have to say it was one of those surprise hits for me. I was kind of like, you know, not disinterested in it, but I wouldn't say I was like super like, oh my gosh, this movie's going to be incredible. But I felt like the way they did it, the whole concept of silence and sign language and just the aliens running after them, all that kind of stuff, the acting was really good, all that jazz. So I'm excited to see A Quiet Place Part 2, and uh, I wonder if you guys have seen it yet. I read an article on People.com where uh, John Krasinski, who is uh, an actor in the film, of course, and I don't know if I had a brain fart. Maybe I said this in a previous episode, so, you know, there's that. But I didn't realize, I forgot that he was married to uh, the other woman in the show, in Emily Blunt. I didn't know. Again, they have different last names. Like a lot of Hollywood people, they don't take on the last name of their uh, spouse in Hollywood. And so I was just kind of like, wait, what? They're married? And so I think that he, he writes in the article again about how he just, he's like gushing basically on his wife and how wonderful she is and you know, just how they uh, work together. It says, there's a lot of unknowns. This is from the article. There's a lot of unknowns. We've worked We've never worked together, even though we're in the same business, the office actor told Entertainment Tonight. This business is a bit like being on separate islands. She goes to do a movie, and I never really uh, meet that crew or see her performance. And he says, I was just blown away and in awe of Blunt's performance. So in the second movie, it was no more nerves. It was all just celebration. Again, kind of a cool story. I don't know how many of you married people would like to work that close with your spouse. I know the pandemic kind of brought a lot of those issues to the surface where, you know, normally you'd go to work for eight, nine hours a day and then return home to your spouse. But I can't imagine working uh, in a movie with your spouse like that. You got to really have a next level, uh, different kind of relationship to be uh, working on a movie set together. And especially one which involves a lot of silence, a lot of quiet. Um, I hear that this new movie is a little bit different than the first um, they're saying that it's bigger, faster, louder, and more typical for the horror blockbuster genre, wrote uh, movie critic Nick Allen of RogerEbert.com. So it sounds like they kind of shifted it a little bit more into the horror direction and kind of typical horror movies. But I'm interested to see what they've done with A Quiet Place Part 2 when I can get my butt into a new movie theater because I haven't been to a theater uh, since I moved to Oregon. Where are all my Kanye West fans? I know I have a number of you that listen to the podcast that love Kanye or like him. And I got a couple stories for you. The first one being that this month, June 2021, coming to a mall near you, you'll be able to pick up some of Kanye West's designed clothes. Now, when I think of Kanye West clothes, I think overpriced uh, very limited release, you know, just hard to get sort of stuff. But now uh, you'll be able to go into a Gap store and pick up some of his Yeezy brand uh, clothes. This was announced last summer in the middle of the pandemic 2020. Kanye and Gap uh, made a partnership deal and it's going to start this month. You're going to be able to walk in the store and get some of his uh, threads. And so here's the announcement from July 2020 from the global head of the Gap brand. He says, we're excited to welcome Kanye back to the Gap family as a creative visionary. 
building on the aesthetic and success of his Yeezy brand and together defining a next level retail partnership. He goes on to say that uh, this endeavor will see West developing modern and elevated pieces for men, women, and children at accessible price points. West Designs will also be featured in a, quote, unique Yeezy Gap expression in select retail stores as well as on digital channels over time. So I actually think this is pretty cool because, again, it's bringing that brand, if you will, that aesthetic uh, down to a, what do they call it, a reasonable price. Um, uh, uh, it might make it something that the average teenager or adult can afford versus some of the more expensive stuff. So I'm excited to see what that line looks like once it hits stores uh, later this month. So is that something you guys are interested in? Will you be checking out the uh, Gap brand uh, branded Kanye West, West clothes. In other Kanye news, you've probably heard now that he obviously is divorced from Kim Kardashian. And there is a article that I heard about on a podcast recently where uh, a mole, they say, according to this uh, gossipcop.com article, so it's you know, unabashedly um, like the National Enquirer, this is a gossip article. But it was interesting to read that this person who claims to be uh, works or is in his household that ever since he divorced Kim, that he's been a wreck and that he's exploded over the 300 pound mark. Uh, thanks to his fast food binges, um, he's taking in 6000 calories a day and just getting uh, getting huge. And so this is, again, one of those crazy articles that probably 10% or less is true, um, but it goes on and on just to talk about a lot of the stuff, mainly focusing on his food, his diet. Uh, he's been a, he's, it's clear that he's been a little recluse staying out on his ranch in Wyoming, hasn't been seen a lot in public. And so that article uh, was read, um, sorry, was posted, let's see here. This was posted in May, May 17th of 2021. And what was funny is I did a little bit more uh, web sleuthing and I found an article three days later. Let's see if my math's right. No, it was May 17th was the first article, the gossip one. And then I found a more recent article, the 24th, which actually showed some pictures of him, albeit from the backside. You don't see the front of him. He's uh, a paparazzi captured a photo of him um, going to, I believe, a meeting about that gap line that we were just talking about. And it doesn't look like he's put on that much weight. So it kind of destroyed the first article, not surprisingly. But again, that's one of those stories of, man, if we're going to listen to things about somebody gaining all that weight and having all sorts of crazy stuff happen in his life, uh, we got to do we got to do some more work to look look and see the credibility of it. And again, it's a gossip article, so it's not like this is a mainstream article. But I'm just kind of sharing that authentically that I um, I got sucked in to that and then found out that it's probably not true unless that second article is the not true one. <laughs> but I doubt it. I think that that's just how gossip uh, channels work. 
Last up in our culture section, I want to talk about uh, mobile games. This is one of those that could be in the tech section or in the culture section. So, hey, I put it here in culture. It's something I don't often talk about is mobile gaming because I'm usually playing on my amazing PlayStation 5. Uh, but yeah, recently I got two new games uh, that I've been digging, and one is a new Angry Birds game. Do you guys remember Angry Birds? I forget when they came out, but that uh, is a fun game. And to me, Angry Bird games uh, fall into what I call kind of the brainless games, you know, the stuff that you're just... You are watching a TV show kind of halfway and you're sitting on the couch or maybe you're at work and you're bored and so you pull this out just to kind of escape for a minute and it doesn't take a ton of skill but there's a lot of bells and whistles like it, it almost feels like a slot machine like you're just punching different colored things and sounds and different stuff just kind of make it enjoyable and so the name of the app is called Dream Blast so it's Angry Birds Dream Blast and it has some similarities to the uh, previous games. The one thing that you don't really do in this game that you used to do in the last one is fling the birds. Like you don't really have like a, what do you call that? Not a bow and arrow, but a slingshot. There you go. Like a slingshot effect. That's what I remember from the early Angry Birds games is you just pull back the sling and just boom, just shoot that thing into uh, busting something. And so uh, that's not there, but there's a lot of new things um, that you're blowing up. They, they make similar sounds, funny faces, all that kind of stuff. So if you're looking for a new uh, game for your phone, I would definitely check out Dream Blast, um, the Angry Birds game. And then the other one, which is a brand new game, well, I should say a remake of a previous game called The Oregon Trail. And being somebody who lives in Oregon, it has an instant uh, interest from me as somebody who's very interested in the history of Oregon, but it also harkens back to my childhood because when I started in my young um, childhood years, when I was first going to a computer lab or a friend's house, I mean, we had the old green screen, click, clack, click, clack keys, the massive computer sitting on the desk. And one of the games we would play is the Oregon Trail. And that was extremely fun for a number of reasons. And, you know, as a middle schooler, it was hilarious that people died of dysentery. Um, that was just like, wait, what? People die from diarrhea on their way to... Um, Oregon <laughs> so um, but that was just one of those fun kind of turn-based games and you know all sorts of different things could happen um, kind of each time you played it there were different uh, different angles and so believe it or not they revised it they have a new version called the Oregon Trail and it's uh, a really cool game for a number of reasons it has a lot of the elements from the old game it's still just a two-dimensional the 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 game is going to the left side of the screen and you're you got four people that you're taking on a wagon and you're you're making all these choices you know that's your role in the game is you're deciding for them what to buy you're deciding which trail to take you're deciding um, whether to go hunting or whether to drink the water, danger, warning, don't drink the water. They always get dysentery. Um, but yeah, so it was just fun, pretty nostalgic. I don't know. I've played it three times now. 
uh, the first time. It defaults on medium, which I actually found to be really challenging, really hard. Either that or I'm making terrible choices in the game. But the two times I played the normal or medium difficulty, um, I just people were dying left and right and just having a hard time with what I thought was pretty easy. But I did find that you can make it go to to easy mode or normal mode i don't know what they what they call it in the game but that made it much more enjoyable because people weren't always dying or having their feet run over by the wagon wheel um so yeah so it's interesting it's got a few disclaimers which i found again to be interesting as you start the game it has this pop-up and you read like three paragraphs and one of which you know i understand it's acknowledging the the aspect of the Indians in the story, and they deliberately bring Indians more into the story than I believe the game back in the 80s. Um, but it also calls the westward expansion an invasion. And I don't know, that just kind of had a, uh, didn't necessarily sit well with me. And so I'm not interested in a debate. I'm sure some of you will have strong opinions there, but there was definitely kind of that initial like, wow, this is a uh, new take. This is a new angle on the Oregon Trail as a historic event and now a video game that we're playing through. And so, um, yeah, kind of interesting there, but I would definitely recommend the Oregon Trail. It's a fun game. And sadly, right now, it's only on um, the arcade aspect of the Apple App Store. So uh, arcade games, like you have to be in a subscription, which again, I don't know. I think it's $5 a month, maybe $10 a month. All I know is because I got my new iPad, which I'll talk about in the next section, uh, they give you three months free to try out Arcade. And so I tried Apple Arcade again, and this was the one game of probably 50 that I was interested in the arcade. So if you do have that free trial or you're willing to put out five bucks for a month, you might want to try. Or if you love the Oregon Trail as a teenager or a young person, um, check it out and it'll bring back lots of fun memories from your childhood. In our last episode, I mentioned uh, we, t we talked about the Apple event and I mentioned that I wanted it all. Like everything that they announced at the event, I wanted it all. And of the three, four um, things that they announced or specific products, I did end up managing getting three of the four products. And the first one being AirTags, I already talked about and received those. Um, but since our last episode, I got my new iPad and a Siri remote for Apple TV. And so I just wanted to comment for a second on my experience with both of those. So the biggest thing for me uh, is I sold my last iPad, which was a 2018 iPad Pro uh, 11 inch models so more of the they have two models for those who have no idea there's the 11 inch and then there's the 12.9 inch and I always like that size it's great for putting in the backpack it's great for sitting on the couch and playing around with your iPad when you're watching TV or whatnot and uh, this time so the biggest change for me was I went from the 11 inch to the 12.9 inch 
And that was entirely that decision was entirely made because they Apple decided to put this new mini LED screen, the better screen in the larger one, but not the smaller one. And I don't know why they did that other than what just happened with me, which is I was willing to foot more money to get the better screen. Um, I don't know. Again, being an Apple fanboy, I want the latest and greatest. I want the best of the 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 products that they were putting out there. And, you know, it's the same thing with the phones. But back in the day, there used to be the pro and then there was the plus, right? There was the bigger one there that had a better camera. There was a lot of things that differentiated the pro model and the base model iPhone. And lately, as of late, the iPhones have become more similar. The iPad, for whatever reason this year around, uh, is similar except for that screen um, is, is the biggest difference. And so I opted for the 12.9, which I'm still getting used to. Um, I think the place that I don't like it the most is again, sitting on the couch cause it's a lot heavier and the angle of it is different when you're sitting, when it's sitting in your lap, it's just a bigger beast to be clicking around the internet with, um, carrying it around. Okay. Yeah, it's bigger, but I usually just throw it in my backpack. So that's not a big deal. But commenting on the new features uh, that stand out, the screen is incredible. It's beautifully bright. As all the reviews that I've watched said, you really don't notice the popping nature of it until you watch an HDR video. So if you go to YouTube or a game or whatever. So that's where the popping, beautiful nature of it just really comes out. Um, the other thing is center stage is I've used that a bunch of times and basically the camera on the front facing the front facing camera will follow you now. So it's basically like you have your own like cameraman. So if you move your head to the left, the camera pans really it does it really subtly. It doesn't do it very fast. And so I had a tele what do you call it? Tele appointment, I think is what you say with my doctor this past week. And so I tried that. I used the iPad. I set it on my coffee table and I sat back on my couch and the camera just adjusted to where I was at. And so that's really cool. It also works when someone else comes in the screen. It'll include them. So that's um, that's another cool feature. Um, and really the only other thing that I'll comment on today is just the speed. You know, it's got the M1 processor. Apple has done a great job this year of every product that they've launched has M1 in it now. So it's kind of just replacing all of the Intel uh, chips. And that means I have an incredibly fast, I mean, it's just liquid buttery smooth when you're clicking through apps, loading things. There's basically no load time. I play Civilization 5 as a game that I play on it uh, sometimes, and it just, the turns just load that much faster. So again, it's one of those things that for most people is a very small adjustment, but when you compare it directly with um, my 2018, especially a few years old, it's uh, quite the upgrade. So I'm super, uh, super excited to have it. And then finally, the remote control. So those of you who have had Apple TV, um, again, I love my Apple TV. I watch it daily. I use it to watch YouTube and Hulu and Netflix and all the different apps. And the one thing that just kind of stunk and everybody dealt with was the remote. It was too small. The uh, touch screen at the top, you'd think, oh, it's state of the art, but it was just glass. So your finger would slide too fast and you'd flip through like th three apps when you're trying to get to the middle one. It would just keep going. 
Um, a lot of people lose it in the couch cushions. I didn't lose it that much, but a lot of people did. And so the new one that I have is uh, substantially thicker and longer, and it has more buttons on it. And it's got the Siri button on the side, similar to the phone. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm really enjoying it. It's got the circular click wheel at the top, kind of harkening back to the iPod, um, the iTouch and the iPod. And so that's just kind of a cool retro feature there. But it makes scrolling, scrubbing through your videos, finding where you want to go in it uh, just that much easier. So highly recommend that. And a lot of people didn't know when I told them, if you have the Apple TV, I'm pretty sure all models, but you want to check Apple to confirm this. But I know the latest the latest and the previous generation both work with the new remote and you can buy just the remote from uh, Apple's website or app. And so that's what I chose to do. I didn't need to upgrade my Apple TV. That's working fine. The new one doesn't really have anything uh, that I need. And so I said, I want the, I want the remote. That's the only piece that I need to get. And so I encourage you, if you have an Apple TV to look at the new Apple TV remote, uh, it would be worth your, uh, your upgrade. I recently came across an article over on medium.com that uh, really resonated with me. And it also harkens to the book, the wisdom pyramid, which I've talked about here on the podcast. And this guy in the article suggests um, that we need to go back to when we used to have away messages as a culture. Do you guys remember away messages? Again, some of this is dating ourselves, but back to the early, early days of the Internet, back when America Online was the primary way that we interacted with each other on the worldwide webs. Um, there was obviously instant messaging through your AIM, your AOL Instant Messenger, and there were away messages. So the idea was similar to like a digital post-it note stuck to your, um, your handle. People would message you and it would instantly respond back to them that you were unavailable and you could either use one of AOL's um, cookie cutter ones that they come up with, or you could create a custom one saying, Hey, I'm out to lunch. I'll be back at 2 PM. You know, Hey, I'm with the wife and don't want to be disturbed, whatever you want to, to say. And so it's interesting how since then to now there is far more apps. There are far more ways that we're connected to the internet and our phones are just constantly lit up with notifications. And I have found some degree, I've learned over the years uh, through friends and articles and through trial and error and some making mistakes, um, some things that help me out. So I'm going to share some of those uh, with you as we discuss this article. But I like his general premise that we need to, or it would be great, rather, if we could, whether it's in our messaging app of choice, our text messages, uh, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, um, that when people message us, there could be an away message that comes back, or maybe they could see, like if, if your company uses Slack, let's, for an example, that has an away feature. A lot of people don't even know that. It's not super clear in there, but you can set yourself to away and you can put a little message up there. 
Um, but for the rest of us, kind of for the consumer uh, products, apps out there, there isn't much of this away message stuff. And in the article, they talk about how some people have figured out uh, ways around it, like kind of creating their own version. And so on Twitter, people have obviously you could tweet something, but even changing their name and putting like an asterisk like on vacation or out until such and such a date. That's one way that you can let your followers know why you're not responding. Another way is that they talked about on the driving settings, if you have an iPhone, um, there's a separate app for Android users, but on iPhone, you can set it to make this, I'm driving, I'll um, text you when I'm back, and you can set that function on, I think it's called CarPlay, not CarPlay, but it's a way, some, some car feature. And you can set it up to where that can say any custom thing. So even though you're not driving, you could still turn on this car mode, let's say, and it would respond to every text message that comes in with your default custom message that you put in there. So that's one people that are that one way that people are kind of getting around this to I like the idea of like you're not interrupted, but people also know like, oh, he's busy until this time. So there's kind of like a, I will respond after 6 p.m. instead of it just sitting there. And a lot of times people never respond because they forget about it or life happens. And so I think you still have to be, um, you know, you have to be your own um person who manages this right you have to manage your time and so some of the things that I do is you know when I'm with somebody I try to keep my phone in my pocket on silent um, I don't generally put it up on the table um, if I'm meeting with someone a volunteer a student like I just I don't want that in front of us I literally see it as a barrier if it's sitting on the table and so I generally just keep it in my pocket uh, it's also easier when you have an Apple Watch because your watch can have the notification come up and that can be kind of subtle. You can still kind of subtly look at it, but I still think it's really important when you're meeting with someone face to face to communicate visually that you're engaged, that you're present. And so I try not to let the phone or a tablet uh, get in the way unless there's a reason for it. Like if we're collaborating on something or we're Googling something, um, that's really, really important. And so there was a, a quote here in the article that I thought was worth sharing, and it says this. It says, The expectation of constant connectivity might have a psychological impact as well. A 2019 study found that the presence of a smartphone in a social situation causes us to enjoy our socializing less and diminishes some of the psychological benefits we might have reaped from the interaction. And so there you have it. Science is kind of going in this direction and showing us that these little things in our hands might actually be causing us more harm than good. And I, for one, think that the we need to be intentional about turning on Do Not Disturb when we're trying to get stuff done at work. I know another thing for me that's been very helpful is with email. You know, I don't have my work email on my phone. I don't get notifications for Slack on the weekends. Like there's certain things that I set up boundaries so that work doesn't continue and people don't just um, break through my um, boundaries into my time off, into my time to rejuvenate, to fill up. 
And then also with email, um, I try to only check it at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. I'm not perfect at this, if I'm honest. If I find myself in the middle of the day, um, you know, not having something to do, maybe it's 15 minutes before lunch and I don't really want to start a big project, I might dip back into my email and see if I got a response. But generally speaking, even at work, when I'm sitting at my desk, I don't have notifications on. I'm not constantly connected to email because I just feel like that, again, breaks the concentration of what you're doing and it pulls you into whatever email. So somebody else's uh, emergency becomes your emergency when you let that notification pop up on your screen. And 99% of the stuff that you deal with in your job usually can be done in the morning or in the evening. I mean, it's two, two periods, eight hours in between, um, that you check the email and then that keeps you sane. It helps you focus better throughout the day. And so I wonder your guys thoughts, you know, uh, new and old alike, you know, would you like to be able to set up an away feature to let people know on your social media, on your messaging apps that you're away and you're doing something until a certain time so that people can either wait to contact you or at least they're in the loop as to when you will contact them. Wonder what your guys' thoughts are. Please uh, sound off in the comments. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know just how much I love my Apple Watch. I was a former Fitbit user for many years. I was a Fitbit guy and just love the idea of tracking my health, having a goal every day for my steps, all that stuff. And I made the jump a few years back to Apple Watch, mainly because I'm totally in that uh ecosystem but it just I think the gamification of it on Apple was uh, really unique to get the rings to close your rings uh, it's different than just a step count just a number and so uh, yeah so you know that I love uh, the Apple watch and so I wanted to share with you I just read an article um, just last week that came out that Apple watch got a huge massive uh, upgrade for those of you who run with your Apple watch in the latest version of Spotify on your Apple Watch, you can now download music directly to your watch. So this is a runner's dream, right? Because last year, for example, during the pandemic, many of you remember me talking about this, but I started running outside. I'm, I'm usually a gym guy. I run on the treadmill, knock it out, get it done. I love having my water in my hand. But last year, it was extremes times call for extreme measures and I had to get out on the sidewalk and run outside and so I experimented with my Apple Watch. I don't like having my phone in my hand or in my pocket and so I would run with just my Apple Watch like many of you. That's what you do if you're a runner. But the missing piece was I could only listen to music from the Apple Music app. That was the one that you could download and there was a few podcast apps that could do it as well. But uh, I have my AirPods in my ear, I have my watch on my arm, and now just recently Spotify made it to where you can download music, Spotify, directly to your watch. So this, if I was a runner, some of you are runners out there, uh, man, now Apple Watch just got even better because you can download a playlist for your run to listen on your AirPods. Uh, or Bluetooth connected to your watch, Bluetooth headsets connected to your watch, and you can run free without any wires or anything held in your hands or in your pockets. Of course, your Apple Watch uh, with the GPS will track your route. It will tell you your stride.
stride, all that stuff. And so I think it's hard to argue that Apple Watch is one of the best, if not the best, uh, running smartwatch because now you don't have to be stuck with Apple Music and their subscription and their songs. You can use the one that everybody loves and uses Spotify and you can just download your playlist to your watch. So I encourage you, those of you runners with your Apple Watch, maybe you don't even have an Apple Watch. Here's my nudge for you to get your butt up and go buy an Apple Watch. Uh, you don't have to buy a new one, folks. If you look at that price tag and you just think, Kurt, I can't afford that right now, look into a used one from a friend or someone on Facebook Marketplace. Uh, Apple also has refurbished um, Apple Watches at a discount price. You can go in. Now they're selling like two or three generations. If you still want a new one, you don't have to get the newest generation. You can get a, a five or a four. I don't know if they still sell the four, but they have this, the SE edition, which is cheaper. So there's just all sorts of entry price points. Um, so don't let the price tag get get you. There's there's other other options there. It's going to be more expensive than a Fitbit, but I argue that you get a lot more for it than just a step tracker. Hence what we just talked about. You get a music player uh, to listen as you're jogging or biking or whatever you want to do where you don't want to have your phone and you just want to be you and your watch. So check that out. Finally today in our tech section, have you been hearing all the news lately about UFOs and our government is about to release some classified information on UFOs? This is one of those things that I laugh every time I hear the concept UFO because it's crazy to me. To me, I'm a simpleton and I'm just like, do I believe in UFOs? Absolutely. A UFO by definition is an unidentified flying object. And yes, there are those in our world. There are times where the military even, I would argue, cannot identify what something is flying out there um, just by radar or by sight. So they're using technology and they're using their eyes and they're seeing something usually at night. Isn't it ironic that it's usually at night where they can't tell what something is? But uh, anyway, so this all this information is kind of stirred up right now uh, because there is a declassified government report that's supposed to be released. And I, again, like a lot of these things, we're all getting excited and everything's getting amped up and you're seeing all sorts of videos and things be revisited. But I caution everyone because usually the way these things go, like the JFK report that was recently released, um, is most of it ends up being redacted anyways. Most of it is not stuff that we end up seeing, um, but it's being released. But yeah, there's still probably going to be stuff that is um, marked and blocked and whatever for whatever protected reasons. Um, but it made me think of an article I read back in March uh, that 50 years ago, the title of the article is 50 years ago, NASA sent a map into space to help aliens find Earth. And now they've got an awesome update. So I wonder if this is why we're seeing all of these alien ships showing up is that maybe uh, back in 1971, when NASA was sending the Pioneer 10 capsule out to study Jupiter, we sent a map, a frickin' map to the aliens. Like, part of me is just like, are you kidding me? Like, who thought this was a good idea? Have you seen Independence Day? Uh, but we literally sent the aliens a map. If they didn't already know where we were or how to get to us, 
we just sent him a map. We said, here we are, you know, come and find us. And so uh, from this article here in uh, the goodnewsnetwork.org, it says this. It says, as Pioneer 10 would likely be the first Earth-made object to ever be discovered by aliens, the American astrophysicist Carl Sagan thought we should leave a message on board his colleague Frank Drake thought we should send a map aboard as well. So Sagan and Drake came up with a famous image, a line drawing etched into a gold anodized aluminum plate that depicted the male and female frame with the male waving in what would hopefully be construed as a gesture of goodwill and also depicted a simple diagram of our solar system and galactic coordinates for Earth. So, yeah, this is one of those things that you have to read and see this thing. But there's this, like, golden plate that was sent out into space on this uh, Pioneer 10 capsule back in 1971. Before I was born, we sent a flipping map into outer space telling the aliens what we look like, the male and female form, and oh yeah, here's our address, planet Earth, come on by for a visit. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys heard of this thing, um, but I just thought it was funny given that there's now this report and UFOs and all these things are coming, coming together. And after a year like 2020, I don't know how many times I heard people joke about what's next. Is it going to be aliens? Like we're just going through all these waves of like crazy things happening uh, over the last year. And people are talking about, well, it's not going to surprise us if we wake up tomorrow and alien ships are overhead. Um, so I think there's just kind of that that's the way that society that we as humans are kind of dealing with these waves of um, unforeseen crazy circumstances is you got to either you're either crying about it or you're laughing about it. And I think the alien conversation is a way that we're collectively laughing uh, about this time and season that we're in. So. I don't know. I just found that to be interesting that we would send a map and um, a photo of what humans look like, or at least a drawing of what men and women look like to come and come and check us out here on planet Earth. So maybe that's what's going on. Maybe we're about to meet aliens. What do you guys think? We're going to see aliens anytime soon. Maybe it wasn't a lab in China that brought us coronavirus. Maybe it was actually aliens. Some of these UFOs dropped coronavirus into the wet markets. I don't know. As featured on episode 22, our podcast sponsor is Adam Peak, my friend and independent financial planner. Are you concerned that you aren't doing enough for retirement? Have you always wondered if you're missing out on the retirement plan offered through work? Reach out to Adam to help find the answers to these questions. You can reach Adam through multiple channels by going to adampeak.com. That's adampeak with an A.com. Securities offered through Sigma Financial Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. Adam Peak, 300 Parkland Plaza. Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48116, phone number 810-522-8169, or acpeak at sigmarep.com. 
In our faith section this week, I want to have a frank discussion about a topic that I think is one of the biggest obstacles to my own life, but definitely in a lot of people's lives when it comes to faith and Christianity, and that's this topic of shame. I feel like shame is one of those things that we don't talk about very often. Usually people who have issues with shame don't want to talk about it. They don't want to go to the trauma or the stuff in their past that led to them feeling shame, having a sense of shame in their life. And yet that also makes it worse. The fact that you are not talking about it and getting it out of your head and into someone else's ears or into a journal or in a counseling office uh, keeps you locked up, keeps you locked in this cycle of shame being this uh, barrier, this obstacle in your faith. And there's a book I read years ago by a guy named, uh, let's see here, Peter Scazzario, I think is how you say it. And he has a great book I highly recommend called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the subline is kind of kind of what we're talking about right now is he's, it says it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And for me, that's, again, if we don't deal with some of these emotional issues, some of these things that uh, relate to shame, uh, bitterness, resentment, these sort of issues, then there's a ceiling to our spiritual growth. I believe this 100%. I've seen it. I've lived it. Uh, being a pastor for many years, I've watched it in other people's lives. It's like you grow to a certain level, and it's just impossible to move beyond that level. Why? Because you're stuck, and you're stuck in the worst of places. You're stuck in the innermost part of yourself. Call it your soul. Call it your heart. In that innermost space, that that place that includes your identity, who you are, you're stuck. You're, you're unable to resolve that inner angst, that inner junk. And so um, I want to start first with this definition. This is a, a, a definition of shame, um, kind of two different angles on it. And the first one is this, that shame is a fear of disconnection. Fear of of disconnection and another angle on that another another way to say it is shame is believing that we are bad that we are bad and a lot of times growing up I got shame and guilt you know confused and a lot of times you can read the Bible and you can go to church and you can talk a lot about guilt I feel guilty I am a bad person I you know we can just kind of use a lot of these words interchangeably and I think in this particular situation, it is incredibly important to get the definitions right because there is a drastic difference. And see, guilt guilt is I did something bad, and shame is believing we are bad, pointing to ourselves, pointing to our hearts usually, right, to the center of our being. That is so massively different. One is healthy. One is something that I think God wants us to experience, right? Guilt is a good thing. You cheat on your wife, you should feel guilt. You should feel guilty for that. You rob a bank, 
you should feel guilty, right? You should be, there should be a part of you that wants to confess that to a police officer. You want to get it out. Like that is guilt. Guilt is a positive, healthy part of life. We see that from childhood all the way on through old age, that guilt can be a good, uh, a good thing for us. Shame, on the other hand, is much more destructive because it's going into the center of our being and saying, I, I, me, am bad. And it's often a thin line because the evidence of you being bad, usually, this is what the lies we tell ourselves, me being bad, is me doing bad things. And I feel guilt, right? So it confirms the more bad things we do, the more times that our brain says, yeah, of course you do those things. Of course you talk like that. Of course you're thinking those thoughts and you have those desires because you are bad because you are a shameful disgusting whatever you know your inner your inner voice your inner critic may word it differently but it's all again this shame messaging of you are bad and you need to be isolated or disconnected from everybody else uh, there's a quote from Brene Brown's book. I love Brene Brown. She speaks to vulnerability and guilt and shame and all these different things. And she has a number of books out now, but uh, uh, the one that she's really known well for, aside from her um, her TED Talk, which I highly recommend on vulnerability, that's kind of where she got known was from how that went viral. But uh, in her book, Daring Greatly, she says this. She says, guilt is just as powerful as shame, but its influence is positive while shame's is destructive. In fact, in her research, in my research, she says, I found shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we can change and do better. Wow. Wow. She just said what, what we were talking about there, that guilt guilt is a positive. It moves us in a positive direction. It influences us in a to improve, to get better, to get right maybe, to face consequences. Well, shame is destructive. It's turning inward. And man, this this last point she made here is that it corrodes like you think of rust corroding metal on a car you know if you're from Michigan where I where I grew up it's like the the salt and the the snow under the car it corrodes the metal it literally takes something that's strong hard metal and it corrodes it and it's a little bit over time just little bits of of water and corrosion just, just get in there and that's what shame does. It destroys our ability to believe we can change. And being authentic and being honest with you, as I try to do on this podcast, man, if that has not been a theme in not only my life, but in my family's life, as I talk to different people in my family and it just seems like there's this, this aspect of this theme that I just see that's current, which is this default setting, this, this place that w change is impossible. Like it's just kind of like it, it's said in a lot of different ways. Again, the, the semantics may, may be different, but the root of it is the same. And that is you're just always going to be like that. 
You're always going to struggle with that. You're always going to talk like that. You're always going to fill in the blank that this negative side of yourself is not going to change, not going to change. And so, you know, we end it there and it's just despair and discouragement, right? I mean, it's the Debbie Downer, right? But but the things that I'm learning and, and, and the verses and, and, and the concepts that I've gained over the years, you know, it, it's turned the dial a little bit. I feel like the shame ship, you know, to use the, the Titanic, you know, or the, the, the cruise ship analogy, you know, it's like I've made a few degree shifts in this area. The, the shame is melting a little bit. It's not completely gone by any means. The ship is still, you know, turning, but it's slightly turned. And so, again, just kind of sharing some thoughts here. I, I loved uh, The Shack, the book The Shack. I think I've mentioned it on here before. And it doesn't necessarily talk directly about shame, but it gets to this issue of feeling like a second-class Christian or feeling like you're, you're not measuring up like everybody else. All these super Christians exist and you're just like this bad Christian or you're this bad person who just deals with all this stuff that you just can't change. And he says a, a line, I think it's in uh, the, the prologue, the beginning of the book, but he talks about how, you know, our wounds come through people and so does our healing. And that's just, again, so profound and, and, and goes to this of why, why we're stuck. Those of, us, those of you who deal with shame, uh, you're stuck a lot of times because you were wounded by people, right? Usually in your childhood or your formative years, you were wounded through people and your shame causes you to what? Separate and stay away from the source of your healing, the, the source of our healing of shame comes through healthy and positive messages that counter the shame messages. And that's only going to happen when we're in the presence of another being that can speak those things into our hearts, making a deposit down into our souls, those, those dark places that we're afraid for the world uh, to see. The, the, the word empathy is the antidote. We need others' empathy. We need others to truly speak into that corroded, inner shame-filled space. And that's where the healing starts to begin. We have to take courageous steps. We have to start putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations and let ourselves uh, risk the possibility of people hurting us again. And I want to share just three passages of scripture and just kind of tease out some of the, the stuff that we're, we're, we're looking at today. And the first one is 1 John 1, 9. Excellent verse here. Great promise. It says this, if we confess our sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the second part, this is, this is it, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, friends, if that's not a... Uh, worth worth listening to this episode is right here, man. God is able to not just forgive us, but to cleanse us. He wants to take that, uh, it's like a Tide Pod, right? You know, like to our souls. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to wash that inner part clean and have us feeling a lightening of the load to feel like we 
are not filled and weighed down by shame. And the thing that's important for you to see in this passage is it's relational. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. That's relational. That's a relational statement because to to confess your sins, you need someone to confess it to, right? And I would argue it's scriptural to say we don't just confess our sins to God. Other passages say to each other. So we need a relationship. We, we don't just say it to the wall. We don't just say it to our journal, though that's a good starting point. We got to say it to someone. We got to let the darkness out of our mouth. We got to let the shame come out. We got to let that stuff that we hold on to. And so that's 1 John 1, 9. And then there's Romans 8, 1. Man, if you haven't read the book of Romans lately, dive into Romans. Romans is such a great book. It, it, it can be pretty heady at times, but man chapters six through eight and there's just so much so much good there and and Romans 8 1 says this there is therefore now like saying a lot in that just phrase there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus the voice of shame inside of us is a condemning voice when you hear those inner, that inner voice condemning you, putting you down, telling you what you can't do, that's a voice of condemnation, of there is no hope. Going back to Brene's quote, it's, we believe that we can't change and we can't improve. That's what he frees us. That's what Jesus Christ came to free us from. We don't have to be condemned. We don't have to listen to those voices anymore. We don't have to buy into this lie that we'll just always be this way. We'll always struggle with that. We'll always have these deficiencies. And again, please hear me out when I'm saying I am speaking in the middle of this as somebody who daily, weekly wrestles with those kind of messages. We can do this only through Christ. And finally, uh, Isaiah 61.3, which is where this, this concept came out of, which I'll share in a second, but it says, and, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And that's where in a lot of songs and poems, it comes up with this idea of he trades beauty for ashes. God is the type of God who takes, he allows the struggle, he allows the shame, he allows us to have that free will that we've talked about before, but he turns it around. He crowns us with beauty. He can bring beauty from the ashes. I don't know what you faced in your childhood. I don't know what you struggle with today. I don't know what goes on between your ears that just you think no one else deals with. But I'm convinced of this. Whatever that is, God can and desires to turn it to beauty. God wants to turn that that thing in your life that you're so afraid to talk about, he wants to use it for glory, to redeem it, we talk about. He wants to take that and redeem it, to bring it, to bring life from it instead of death. And so as we wrap up today, friends, I know that some of you, this just isn't something that's a barrier for you. 
It's, it's not an obstacle. Shame just isn't part of your story. But I am convinced that there are some of you listening to this that, like me, shame has been a part of your story for a long, long time. It's perhaps the biggest obstacle in your walk with God, in your relationship with your spouse, with your close friends, with your neighbors, with your your boss. Shame is the thing. Shame is the unaddressed barrier because it's holding you back and it's locked you into this prison of thinking that you're bad. And I'm here to be a voice in your life that says you don't have to live like that. You don't have to stay locked in and corroded. You can change. There is hope. You can walk out of that. And I would challenge you to take one step this week. Take one courageous step. Call out to a friend that you trust, a mentor. Uh, Those of you who even want to be bolder, make an appointment with a counselor. Get on the phone. Find somebody that you can confess, maybe to a pastor, Get some of that junk out of you, out of the deep, dark soul and out into the light so that you can experience that cleansing that First John talks about so that you can feel that sense of I'm not condemned, that God is taking these ashes, this, this pile of crap in my life, and he's literally turning it into beauty. It's only going to happen, friends, if we take that courageous step. And I I hope that you do. All good things they say must come to an end. And we have reached the end of this episode 34 of the podcast. And I appreciate you uh, hanging out here with me today. If you like what you heard, be sure and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. As always, we hope you enjoyed this and all of our episodes on the Cultured Christian Podcast. We'd appreciate it if you would like and interact with us on our Instagram and Facebook page. And lastly, if you have feedback or topic ideas, email them over to us at culturedchristians at gmail.com. And either way, we look forward to seeing you in the next one.